0: Welcome to day Four of the Critics, not cynics thirty one Days of Horror, Spectacular. And on this day, we're going to be talking about popcorn, a um, probably lesser known, although I know a few people on the on Twitter, in the horror community are aware of this film, but this was one that I had not heard of for a good while. and I came across it think completely by accident in college um FearNet used to have basically an on-demand thing through our cable and i came across it one day and put it on and fell in love with it uh it's it's made in 1991 so it's kind of one of the first 90s slashers kind kind of not i mean not really there were probably some other ones out there intruders one that kind of comes to mind that was on the cusp of 89 and 90. Um, but it predates scream. And I think scream took some of the elements or at least took some inspiration from this movie. Um, this was definitely a low budget film. I believe they filmed it down in Jamaica and, um, and it's supposed to be set out in California and when you get to kind of the 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 marathon sequence with all the people kind of coming up and getting their tickets, a lot of the extras all have masks on to kind of cover up the fact that they were Jamaican extras that they they were not in California but rather down in Jamaica, and um, you know they had fun with it. I mean, you got to give them that. Uh, I can understand like that. They didn't want to kind of have it be predominantly one-sided on their demographic, that of attendees to the theater. They wanted it to be kind of more diverse and, but yet look more like it was still set in in Los Angeles. Um, but I just it's a fact that they come across on the document or that they talk about in the documentary, with talking about hurdles of making the film and and trying to stay within their in their budget. And uh, there's just a lot of cool different things when you, if you have the Blu ray, uh, like I do, the documentary they have on there is really cool because they got all the actors to come back and kind of just talk about their experience of making the film and like how much fun they had, but also all the pain that they had with doing it and, you know, running out of money, having to switch act- main actresses before, like, right when they were ready to shoot. And it just definitely has a passion project feel to it. Um, The movie itself, like probably if it were made today would definitely be straight to DVD or straight to digital, Uh, probably not well liked by a lot of people or just kind of simply overlooked. And I still believe that this film is overlooked. Um, It's also got one of the best posters and covers that I've can ever really think of on a movie. Uh, if you've never seen the poster, it's basically like a skeleton um, holding a mask of, of I think it's supposed to be Maggie, and it's just like, it's just really kind of cool and kind of clever. I really, really like it. But uh, the basic premise of it is uh, you have a group of film students who uh, want to kind of do some fundraising, and they decide, well, why don't we just do a horror movie marathon and uh they need to find a place to kind of put it on and they find this old kind of abandoned theater that's down in the dumps and they decide to go ahead and like renovate it kind of get it up and running and kind of show these old of 50s 60s b horror films and uh you know just have fun with it and kind of do this for a you know class project But there's a little bit more kind of to it than just that. That Maggie, the main character, has a traumatic past that she doesn't quite remember. And she's beginning to have these dreams about this incident uh, that there's this man that is kind of like coming after her. And... um, it kind of goes into them while they're um, renovating the movie theater, they come across kind of this old film canister and it's this short, like little film called the possessor. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a Manson thing to it a little bit that this uh, Maynard or, or Leonard Gates um, kind of made this movie. And like, as he was shooting it. He also killed his. Was trying to kill his family on screen, uh, but then uh, you know everything kind of gets set ablaze, and these are kind of what Maggie is dreaming about. She's dreaming about him, and so um, while they're doing the marathon, um, someone is stalking the students and kind of killing them one by one during the certain sequences of the film and as maggie kind of gets more suspicious she believes that it's this laner gates who's coming after her and uh, a lot of the movie that i have to praise are the practical effects Um, there's a lot of masks in this movie and there is a particular scene that i can't go into to great detail because it would spoil some of the movie for you if you've not uh, if you're not familiar with it, but uh, it's where, like, a mask is on, and it's not on all the way. And as the person... Like, it's the actor's face, but the-, the prosthetics are, like, right around the ears, and he shakes his face, and just, like, the way that the ears wiggle and just how it- it's all done, it's really effective and really cool. And a lot of the, the kind of, like charm to this movie are the characters like are the actors really that are are they really great no um some of them you might be familiar with a little bit uh i know that um jill i'm gonna butcher her last name sloshin uh I, i feel really bad about that but uh she was in the stepfather she was in um i don't think it was one of the curse movies but it was she was in an, in another movie where like a guy is kind of becoming a like human snake or something. Um, I've heard it, I've heard it talked about on the um, horror movie nights podcast. Is it horror movie nights? I believe so. Um, podcast. They've talked about that film, but she's she's in that as well. You've probably seen her in a couple other movies. Uh, one of the the. Um, student that's in the wheelchair is actually kind of the dorky uh allergic scientist in the 98 uh, godzilla film and um i can't remember her name but um the african-american actress uh, student is from nightmare on elm street 5 so there are some actors that you've seen around you've been familiar with a little bit um and ray Walston, who was my favorite martian and he is a in the Stand miniseries, uh, he has a short little cameo in it, which is really fun, and I like seeing him in it. Um, so it's you know they they're not mainstream actors. None of these other actors really kind of went on to do big big movies, but they have enough charm to them. Their characters, you you can kind of you really love their characters. Uh, you can identify with their characters a little bit. They're definitely got the young kind of film student feel to them. They've got their kind of like their eyes are wide and they, they love the medium. They love working in it and they all want to come become aspiring filmmakers. And so you kind of, and getting that that's kind of like the behind the scenes story with the making of the film, like this is kind of a passion product, uh, passion project film that it really kind of bleeds over into the movie that even the flaws that the movie might have uh you can easily overlook them because there's just this great charm and you really can tell that this influenced Wes Craven in making Scream um this is not as much of like a satire like Scream is or a commentary on horror like Scream is but Uh, a lot of the methods around it, or just the fact that it's, it's dealing with horror films, it's dealing with a killer that is kind of inspired by horror films, um, or is aspiring to make their own like kind of live action horror film, uh, You you can really see just the charm with it. I know it's not a movie that's for everyone. I know it's fairly hard other than like ordering the Blu-ray on Amazon. I don't think you can really find it streaming. Um, A lot of the... the, What's even also fun, and even though the movie is like a short or tight hour and a half, the movies within the movie are just so fun and it makes the movie feel longer and even those sequences themselves are fun little mini movies uh, within the movie. And that's very enjoyable. Uh, the climax is really good. It's got a very nice, surprising twist to the film. Also, D. Wallace is in this. Sorry, this just popped in my head. D. Wallace has a small role in it as um, Maggie's... Uh, her, it's her mom, but it's not really her mom, uh, I believe. And, and how it plays out in the movie. It's been a little bit since I've, I've watched it. I need to, I do need to rewatch it. And that's why it's a recommendation for the 31 days of horror for the month of October. Um, I'm really imp- like the one thing that really just impresses me about this movie. You can maybe criticize it for its low budget or the fact that they couldn't, uh, diversify their, their extras. But I think like with the fact that it's set in a horrorthon, all the costumes make sense. Um, so it's not like, they're doing anyone a disservice by this movie. And and the, and the flaws don't, aren't as glaring. But a lot of the money I feel like went into the practical effects because the practical effects are so good in this movie, especially in a 90s movie. If they were like CG'd today, it'd probably look awful. But I really appreciate the like love and care and the mask. like the masks are so cool. And even what's under the mask is is terrifying and so kind of traumatizing like it is a creepy creepy effect and it's just it's it doesn't waste its time it runs straight through the plot it has some very fun comedic elements into it the like the guy who uh is trying to get back with maggie but ends up screwing up every chance he gets, like, just keeps running into bad luck after bad luck after bad luck. And it's just humorous. Like, he decides to go to the movies with this other girl to make kind of Maggie jealous a little bit. And then he gets up to go find her at one point. And then he comes back. And well, this kind of, like, big, beefy biker dude is, like, sat down and is kind of, like, t- shacked up with uh, the other girl... And he starts kind of like yelling with him and like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do to me? And then basically just gets like punched out by the biker guy. And um, it's just kind of really funny. And the highlight that I think the most impressive performance is uh, the character of Toby. Uh, And Toby, unfortunately, I can't quite find the um, actor's name, but the, the actor who played him... Um, has it has passed away, he passed away, I think, in still in the early 90s uh, from AIDS, but he is so good in this movie. I, I you you'll you'll understand why when you watch the movie. He's just that very kind of really good, nice goofy guy and fun to be around and caring and you know, stuff that happens on later on in the film. You just, you can understand his motivations. Uh, you you can just really feel for him. And it really comes through like how good of a person he was outside of the movie. And like just as a human being it really comes across when you watch the documentary that's on the Blu-ray. Um, because when they're all talking about him, they all kind of choke up and they all just talk about how sweet he was and uh, how good of an actor and how they wish that you know his career would have just you know they felt like it would have skyrocketed had he lived longer and and it is a shame because he's so so adorable and so and just so strong in his performance i think he outshines everyone in the entire film so i just have to recommend this one uh if you can get your hands on it watch it i'd say buy it like this is a movie that. I, I would recommend you just buy right away, especially if you love horror. And he, and it's still kind of got the '80s feel a little bit. It, you know, it's only, you know, two years removed from from the '80s. And I think even like kind of when they sh- started shooting, I think they started shooting it in the '90s. So it's really kind of only a year removed from the '80s, and it's very very much got that '80s aesthetic. Kind of still feeling like that, My Bloody Valentine or Prom Night um you know or even intruder like it's got that kind of feel intruder feels more like an 80s because it looks more like an 80s uh, whereas popcorn it, it it definitely you can start seeing the transition of 80s uh cinematography into 90s cinematography it starts kind of having that blend a little bit so uh I'm first score it's gonna be a little bit biased just because this movie kind of, edged its way into a, a special place in my heart it's i think an average viewer of this might find this at about a three out of five uh and some might find it even less because it might not scratch a itch or maybe they see scream as the far superior product which in technique and style and story writing it probably is um but i don't think you get scream i mean you still get scream probably without this movie but i think a lot of the elements that went into scream are definitely coming from this movie i just i have no doubt about it um so i think just with my personal and and definitely subjective uh rating on this i give this a 4.5 out of 5 But realistically, more objectively, it's probably a three. There are probably some areas that they could have maybe gone a little bit further in or tightened up or kind of streamlined. But, you know, with this is one thing I always talk about on the podcast, like why I can watch low budget indie horror films. And even not even if they're not firing on all the cylinders, there's a lot that I can appreciate because you can feel the passion. You can feel this is something that they wanted to do. And you can't go wrong there. So that's why I have to rate this one a little bit higher, because I can feel that passion. I can see it. Uh, it's it's what makes me want to talk about film. It's what made me want to be a filmmaker or an actor when I was younger. Uh, none of that ki- kind of worked out for me. But it's allowed me to kind of have this deeper appreciation. And that's kind of the point of the podcast is you know, I feel like modern day critics today are, well, it needs to be perfectly polished, it needs to be perfect story, perfect acting, perfect cinematography, uh, you know, perfect shooting locations, uh, perfect choreography, perfect special effects, or it's got to be having this greater message uh, regardless of how good the story is as long as it's checking off boxes for some type of agenda. uh, We're going to give it The highest scores then if it doesn't it's it's gonna be a garbage movie I'm someone who even though I'm a huge fan of the Resident Evil games I'm still a fan of the Resident Evil movies more so the earlier ones in the franchise versus the later ones but I can I own every single one and part of it is is because I appreciate what they're doing and they're fun like I can objectively say yeah they're not good movies but i can see what people would enjoy about them so i don't think it's fair that just because there are certain things that don't work that that completely negates a film Uh, and that's my kind of my problem with rotten tomatoes right now and i'm kind of going off of a rant uh not intended for a a mini episode like this but you know rotten tomatoes now it's kind of become the thing although we're starting to see kind of a backlash or kind of a, a polar opposite of You know, if critics didn't like it and it gets the Rotten rating, then people were like, well, it's a bad movie. I'm not going to go see it. I'm just not going to do it. The critics are saying it's a bad movie. Yet then the audience score is really high, and then you don't, you know, when the audience score matches kind of how you feel about it, you don't feel guilty if you like the movie. Now, again, we're kind of seeing this flip-flop of... The audience score is meaning more to the actual audience versus the critics, and I'm not saying that all critics are invalid in their criticisms, but I think that there's a better way that you can gauge that or a better way you can at least present that to your audience and you can point out the negatives, you can point out the flaws, but you can also point out the positives and if Criticizing or film criticism has become too much of a job for you. Maybe you need to re- remove yourself out from it. I, th- I think I've talked about this on the podcast in the past. Um, Ebert really kind of, you know, started out loving film. He wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Uh, you know, he lived kind of in that film world. And yet later, I think later in his life, well, kind of in the mid of his life, Film, watching movies and, and, and working like with Roper and them, and, um, uh, he kind of became to kind of detest film and only certain types of movies really kind of you know impressed him and other movies didn't most movies didn't impress him but then I think later in his life after you know he had the surgery for his throat cancer had his larynx removed he started rediscovering his love for film and and the one thing that kind of points that out is uh, if you remember the movie Possession, I believe that was the name of it had Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it It was about a Dybbuk box. It even had a um, Mariasu, if I said that right, the the uh, Jewish rapper uh, in it as as a rabbi. Um, and I saw the movie. It was a PG-13 one, so I wasn't having high expectations from it, but I didn't. I I thought it was okay. I I thought it was it was all right. It had an interesting story, but the scares weren't quite there uh and it just didn't all work for me. But I read Ebert's review on it and the man loved the movie. He loved every almost everything about it. And I can see I as soon as I saw that review, I said this is a man who's kind of rediscovered his his love of film as a medium of entertainment. And that's the point, that's the point. If you can find some form of entertainment, the film has done its job. Yes, things might not have worked. Yes, acting may have been crap, but the story might have been really intriguing. And therefore it has succeeded on some form and you can't fault the movie for that. And so when you have these people who are going, well, it's a trash movie, don't support it, don't support it, don't go out and see it, uh, it's pushing this agenda, it's pushing that agenda, it's not pushing an agenda, or well, this actor said some things in a press tour and this actor didn't say things in a press tour, uh, or they weren't inclusive enough, or they were too, uh, they weren't, uh, they were too inclusive. You know, those are all things that, yes, they might play factors in a film, but in the end does that really actually impact the film does that impact the individual audience member who is watching that film and should that person for liking that movie say i liked jack and jill i've never watched that movie i've heard only awful things about it don't really intend on watching it because it does as much as i like adam sandler movies there have been a few hit and misses in there and it's just not one that i'm really interested in seeing but had I seen it and I liked it, but then I hear all these people kind of trashing the movie. Does that mean I need to feel guilty for liking that movie? We're seeing a lot of this. Well, these are my guilty pleasure movies. Well, they shouldn't They shouldn't make you feel guilty. I like unpopular sequels. I love uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation. Objectively, an awful movie, but it's fun. It's enjoyable. I like it. Uh, I also contend that it is the origin of Matthew McConaughey's all right, all right, all right phrase. Uh, but I could be wrong on that. Still may have come from possibly dazed and confused. But uh, why should you, just because a massive, mass audience thinks that, that movie is bad, why should you feel guilty about liking that movie? Why should you be afraid to tell someone you like that movie? I, I, I don't understand that. So that's kind of just... Again, reiterating kind of the premise of the podcast is you can point out the flaws, but you point out what works too. And then know your audience of who is listening to you and whether or not uh, they will be receptive to what your input is. Really, your goal is to try to inform your audience as best as possible. Not necessarily to steer them away from a movie or towards a movie, but to give them enough information that then they can determine on their own whether or not, with what you've said, is has convinced them one way or the other. Or even just to wait. Like, I do use Rotten Tomatoes as kind of a gauge. If it's a movie I was unsure about in the first place, kind of iffy on the trailers or some such, and it comes out and the critics kind of give it a really hard time on Rotten Tomatoes, I'll just be like, okay, I'll wait till it comes out on Netflix or on Prime or on one of the many streaming uh, subscriptions I have still means I'm going to watch the movie. It doesn't mean that just because they gave it a negative review, I'm just like, okay, I've written that movie off, never going to watch it. Uh, no, there are only movies that I will never watch because I have my own personal reasons. I will never have a critic influence whether or not I will actively watch a movie. It's all my only my personal convictions, and I would never force those on another person. And I know that there are enough good people out there writing for more independent sites that have that kind of same thirst so i don't want to say that all critics are guilty of this so sorry about that kind of diatribe but it kind of just sprang out of from recommending this movie and my passion for this movie and my passion to have people exposed to it more i believe when i revisited i started coming back to twitter before transitioning it over to the podcast Uh, I did a 31 Days of Horror or 31 Days of Halloween recommendation each day that month last year, and Popcorn was there in that too. So this is me now being able to talk about it in a longer form, and I'm so passionate about this movie. I enjoy this movie so much, and I tell you what, you get on Blu-ray and you go to sleep, you have a fun song to wake up to on the the menu, Uh, but it, it is really enjoyable. It's a fun flick and i highly recommend it so that's it 4.5 out of 5 from me and we'll see you guys on day five